Turn your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 21, this Palm Sunday. We want to look at the account that the Gospel of Matthew brings to us about the Lord Jesus Christ's triumphal entry. entry excuse me. And as we, of course, have been acknowledging, this is Palm Sunday, and the crowd shouted, Hosanna, which meant save now. They cried from their hearts, from the soles of their feet to the crowns of their head. They said, Hosanna, praise the Lord, the King has arrived, save now. And the verses we're going to see together this morning from Matthew 21 are verses that report to us the Lord's presentation of himself to Israel as their promised king, but also the cleansing that was necessary of the Jewish temple that Jesus did not back away from, but that he undertook for the glory and the renown of his heavenly Father's name. We're going to see four timeless truths in this passage. Matthew 21, 1 to 17 gives us four timeless truths we want to see together. So I want to begin by reading verses 1 through 3. Follow along as I read Matthew 21, verses 1 through 3. And when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there with a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says something to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. What an amazing order the Lord gave it brings us to our first timeless point, and it's this. Sometimes people demonstrate great faith in Christ. Sometimes people demonstrate great faith in Christ. I mean, surely these two disciples did. I mean, they were told to go to a village where probably they were not known. They were ordered to take a donkey and its colt, which were not their animals. And they would say, if they were any protestation, that the Lord has need of them. <laughs> I wonder if the owner of the animals in that particular village even knew which Lord they were talking about. Great faith it took for these disciples to do what Jesus told them to do. And I love what it says, that they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. Jesus predicted that the outcome, the unlikely outcome of them obeying him fully and going to get the donkey and her colt would be that the owner of the animals would be happy, pleased, take pleasure in letting his animals be used for whatever the Lord had need of. That's amazing. And verses four to six. Now, this took place that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, another name for Jerusalem, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now watch this. And the disciples, the two disciples, went and did just as Jesus had directed them. I love that. They did just as Jesus had directed them, although it was unconventional, although it was risky, although it was unexpected. They did just as Jesus told them to do. I want to be that kind of a follower of Jesus, don't you? That whatever he says to us in his word, that we will do just as his word tells us to do. 
to be just as his word tells us to be, to say just what his word tells us to say. I want to be that kind of a follower of Jesus Christ. And we must mark it down that likely what Jesus commands us to be, to say, or to do will be unconventional because this is not our home. We're tourists. We're here on a heavenly passport. And so, so often what Jesus will tell us to do in his word will be unconventional and it will be risky and it might even be embarrassing. But we need to be like these precious two disciples, unnamed maybe so that we will take, see ourselves in both of them. We need to be like these two precious disciples who demonstrated great faith in Christ and did just as he said, wandered into the village where they were unknown, took a mother donkey and her colt who didn't belong to them, told the owner that the Lord has need of them and brought those two beasts to the Lord Jesus for his use. And so the first timeless truth in this passage is that sometimes People who follow Jesus Christ demonstrate great faith in him. May that be me and may that be you. Great faith. The second timeless truth that we see in this account is that this side of heaven, people are profound paradoxes. This side of glorification, this side of being physically with Christ in heaven, we all are paradoxes to a large degree. We can turn 180 degrees from what we were saying, thinking, or doing. We can turn 180 degrees seemingly on a dime because this side of heaven, we all many times are great paradoxes. Verses 7 to 11, see the paradox nature of the crowd that lined the parade route. And they brought the donkey and the colt and laid them on Excuse me, and they brought the donkey and the colt and laid on them their garments on which he sat. And most of the multitude spread their garments in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them along the road. You see these palm branches that we have that decorate our sanctuary today. The palm branch was the national symbol of Israel. So when the crowd lined the parade route, when Jesus was presenting himself to be their king and they waved the palm branches and put them on the road ahead of Jesus' donkey, they were showing great nationalistic pride that was rooted in their belief of the Old Testament prophecies that a king would come to deliver them. And so there was the parade and they put garments on the donkey that Jesus rode, the colt that had never been ridden to fulfill Zechariah chapter 9. And the multitudes were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Verse 9, and the multitudes going before him and those followed after him were crying, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, who is this? And the multitudes were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Right in that parade crowd where there was faith and hope and expectancy, there was also skepticism and doubt and fear because people are paradoxical. You and I are paradoxical. I mean, think about it. That crowd gave their cloaks to Jesus, but just days later, they took his cloak from him. They cheered him as their king on Palm Sunday, but days later they hated him as public enemy number one and wanted him to be crucified. Paradox. They yelled, save now, but days later they yelled, die now, 
paradox. They recognize him to be the king. That's why they call him the son of David. But minutes later, they downgraded him to being the prophet. In verse 11, paradox, paradox, paradox. They were so sure that Christ was Messiah, but minutes later, they weren't sure who he was at all. Paradox, look at verse 10 again. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, who is this? Some people had yelled, Hosanna, son of David. They knew exactly who he was, Messiah, promised king, deliverer, save now, Hosanna. But just minutes later, those in the city, who is he anyway? What's going on? Paradox, paradox, paradox. And the paradoxical thinking of the thenness is still true of the paradoxical thinking of the nowness. The paradoxical thinking of them is still the paradoxical thinking of us. I mean, aren't we paradoxes? I mean, some believers favor missionaries going all over the world but never share the gospel right where they live? That's a paradox. Or Christians who teach their children honesty, but then have their children lie when the phone rings and say that I'm not home because I don't want to speak on the phone, son. Paradox. Or believing in prayer, but not availing oneself of our Zoom prayer meeting on Monday nights, although you have the technology and the opportunity. Paradox. Paradox. Not just back then. Paradox today. You see, this side of heaven... Persons were paradoxical, and this side of heaven, persons are still paradoxical who follow Christ. And even the Apostle Paul, he was a paradox. This afternoon, why don't you look at Romans 7, verses 15 to 24, to see just how paradoxical the Apostle Paul was, a follower of Jesus Christ, dramatically converted, commissioned and guided by the Holy Spirit to write 60% of our New Testament, and he was a paradox. You can read about the paradoxical nature of his new life in Christ in Romans 7, 15 to 24. So what have we seen so far? We've seen two timeless truths. In the first place, we have seen that sometimes people can demonstrate great faith in Christ. May that be us. The second timeless truth is that this side of heaven, persons are often profound paradoxes. Let's go to timeless truth Number three, seen in the passage, and it's this. Often people choose making a profit over praying a petition. Very often those who name the name of Christ would choose making a profit over praying a petition. Verses 12 and 13, Jesus is in Jerusalem at this point, and he sees a big problem in the temple a problem that was uh, egregious to his Father in heaven and was egregious to him, something he couldn't turn a blind eye to, something he couldn't just gloss over, something he couldn't just walk away from, something he couldn't just sweep under the carpet. No, something that he confronted head on. Verses 12 and 13. And Jesus entered the temple and cast out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, 
My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. That's firm and clear. Firm and clear. He addressed the persons in that time that were more interested in making a profit than praying a petition. He confronted them and he removed them forcibly from the temple, which was to be a place of prayer, not a place of profiteering. There were a lot of persons in Jerusalem on this day that we're reading of. Estimates could be a quarter of a million persons, pilgrims for Passover to Jerusalem, that particular Jerusalem week or more. A quarter of a million people. Can you imagine all those Jewish pilgrims who were in Jerusalem for Passover, who were away from their homes, they needed a few things. They needed their money to be exchanged for the right currency. They needed food to eat while they're in Jerusalem. They needed beverage to drink, cold water to drink. They needed animals and they needed birds for blood sacrifices that Passover required. They needed a lot of things and they were far from home and there were no credit cards. And so the laws of basic supply and demand economics meant that sellers on that occasion could charge grossly inflated prices for the goods they were selling to the pilgrims and the services they were offering to them. Built-in demand, price gouging, one-stop shopping, resulted in a desecrated temple. And as I said, the Lord didn't turn a blind eye to it. He rocked the boat. He rocked the boat so hard that the persons who preferred turning a prophet to raising a petition in prayer were kicked out of the temple. Jesus cleansed the temple. He changed the circus into consecration. And with righteous, holy, fitting indignation, anger, our Lord forcibly got rid of the hucksters in order to be the healer of the blind and the lame who were in the temple complex needing a miracle. Verse 14. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children who were crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. Jesus had cleansed the temple. Jesus had healed sick persons after he did that. And the religious aristocracy, the power brokers of the Jewish religion of that day, became indignant. The word means to be offended, to have one's nose out of joint, to be disgruntled, to be insulted, to be resentful, to be feeling that they were in some way treated unfairly. See, often it's so easy for us, too, to choose to make a profit over praying a petition. True then and true today. So how is it with you? Profit versus prayer. Do you want to know? It's kind of simple. If you have children or grown children living under your roof, why don't you ask them, which do you think that I think is most important? Earning money or praying? Then listen to what they say. And if necessary, repent. Our fourth and last point in this true account of Palm Sunday 
is that people get ugly when their power and their influence lessen. Verses 14 to 17. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children who were crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. And he said to them, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the babes thou hast prepared praise for thyself, verse 17? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Verse 15 is an amazingly, terribly bad report. It says that the Jewish leaders, the chief priests, and the scribes who ought to have been the pace setters when worshiping God in spirit and in truth, who ought to have been the pace setters in understanding the Old Testament scriptures, prophecies about Messiah, who ought to have been the pace setters about personal righteousness, they concluded when they saw the wonderful things that Jesus did, including healing lame people and healing blind people, they became indignant. What an amazingly bad report verse 15 is. And what made them indignant? What caused them to be disgruntled, insulted, resentful, feeling that they were somehow treated unfairly? What did that was some wonderful things. (laughs) They saw some wonderful things, and those wonderful things made them mad. What wonderful things did they see? They saw a king finally coming to his subjects in peace and not in force. Wonderful. They saw Jerusalem stirred with hope again. Wonderful. They saw the temple being cleansed of shady business activity. Wonderful. They saw the blind and the lame being healed and able to walk and see again. Wonderful. They saw young children rejoicing. Wonderful. (laughs) But the chief priests and the scribes saw all those positive things, and they put a negative spin on them all. They didn't say wonderful, they said woeful. How in the world can you interpret those wonderful things and call them woeful? How is it even possible? It's as easy as falling off a log if you have pride, if you are insecure, if you are corrupt, if you are jealous, if you are manipulative, if you are only into outer appearances, if you are into hanging on to your power and statuses and material wealth at all costs, then it's very easy to turn the wonderful into the woeful. With these very ugly interpretations and very ugly feelings about wonderful things, the Jewish leaders became even more determined to kill Jesus. They felt they needed to kill him before Palm Sunday, but when they saw the wonderful things that happened on Palm Sunday, they strengthened their resolve to murder him, to do away with him. Was there a remedy for that poisonous outlook and attitude and feeling? Yeah, there was. 
And the remedy we see in the text for that historically is the same remedy we have in the now if those feelings happen to creep into our Christian lives. And what was the remedy? Verses 15 to 17 again. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children, there's the remedy, and the children who were crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants? There's the solution, the infants. And nursing babes, there's the solution. Thou hast prepared praise for thyself, and he left them. And he left them. He left them and went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Little children back in that account were the remedy for the bad feelings that the religious leaders had. And little children like you guys are still the remedy for wrong understandings about the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought not to miss that if we're older than 10 years old. Because specifically in the text, we're told that the little children's hearts on the parade route and their actions welcomed and loved the Lord Jesus. They trusted him. They verbally praised him. The little children took their joy in Jesus. And without knowing it, those little children on that occasion fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy of Psalm 8, verse 2, which said... From the mouths of infants and nursing babes, thou hast established strength. Think of it. You can establish strength, young children, in your homes, where you go to school, in your church. You can establish strength because of thine adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. You know, grown-ups, we can learn a lot from young children. Children are capable of and even very likely to put great faith in someone. Children are not nearly as paradoxical as grown-ups. Children are not profit-driven to the expense of talking with God. Most children don't demand power to say they can influence other kids. And this is why, children, this is why Jesus said and says, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as you, young children that we love. Children, you don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever been given a timeout? Do you know what I think happened next? Jesus gave the religious leaders a timeout. In verse 17, Jesus gave the religious leaders a timeout. And he left them. He left them to themselves. He left them. He left the city of Jerusalem, and he went to stay overnight in Bethany. He gave them a timeout to think about what they were doing wrong. That's something, isn't it? That is really something. And so everyone, grown-ups and children, Let's, in this Passion Week, let's be praying in humility like children, like spiritual children. 
let's be praying like little children leading up to Good Friday and then to Resurrection Lord's Day. Let's be praying and living like little spiritual children. Let's be loving and welcoming the Lord Jesus into every aspect of our lives. Let's be praising Jesus and taking our greatest joy in him. Let's be uh, trusting Jesus Christ for what grown-ups are so prone to worry about. Let's be like spiritual children in this passage, this historical account. Because when we'll be like little children, then we will demonstrate a great faith in our Savior, and we will not be paradoxical or prayerlessly profit-driven or ugly hangers-on to personal self-serving power and influence. Let's be like little spiritual children this Passion Week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. We see ourselves in many different ways in it. Lord, we would pray that you would help us to demonstrate great faith in you. Faith like those disciples had when they went into a village where they weren't known to take animals that weren't theirs, to say to the owner that the Lord has need of them, and then to expect that he would release the animals to Jesus. Give us great faith, Lord. For each of us, that looks differently, perhaps, this Passion Week. But give us great faith in Jesus. Lord, help us not to be paradoxical. May we walk what we talk. May we be the same person this morning in this hour as we are the rest of today and all the days leading up to Resurrection Lord's Day next Sunday. May we not be paradoxical. And Lord, help us to prioritize praying over making a profit. Help us to show that we depend upon you for the honest profit we seek to earn. And we start with praying because then you work. But when we try to make a profit without praying, we are just working. Lord, help us to happily give up whatever power or influence we feel we might have. Lord, we pray that we would see your works all around us as wonderful and not woeful. Lord, we would be childlike in our love for you, our welcome of you, our praise to you, our joy in you, and our trust in you, Lord Jesus. And we pray these things for your glory and in your name. Amen.